Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined, as I often am, by my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. Hey, Ryan. Howdy, Ben. How you doing? Good. So today we are going to be talking about helping engineering leaders improve their developers' workflow automation, their developers' productivity. We've talked about some of this stuff on the blog before, the metrics you can use to measure it, like Dora. And we know this is a big focus for a lot of technology companies, especially right now as folks are looking to get lean as headcounts or budgets are being reduced, but you know, demand uh, may have continued to increase. So without further ado, uh, we'd like to bring on the sponsors in this episode. So find folks at Linear B, Dan and Ori. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. So Dan, let's kick things off. For folks who don't know, how did you get into the world of software and technology and what led you to the role you're at today? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my name's Dan Lines. I'm one of the founders at Linear B. And in the beginning, I kind of had like a traditional journey studying comp sci and undergrad at Villanova University, that type of thing. Got my first job as a software engineer and like, you know, eventually worked my way up through the management, uh, I guess, system to VP of engineering and all of that. But really like the passion for me comes from innovation, I would say, creating cool products. Like that's kind of my specialty. The thing that I like most about software engineering is I could do something on my own or with a team and create something really cool that other users could use. That's where I get my inspiration from. Nice. And Ori, how about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Ori Karen. I'm the co-founder and the CEO of Linear B. And yeah, I actually started at the age of 13. I had a Sinclair Spectrum, a ZX 48K RAM. But my hobby, like to play games on it, but also like to program in basics. So that started, like sparked something for me, like to, to be in this field. I'm based in Israel, in Tel Aviv. And um, yeah, went through a journey. I was a developer, then a team leader, was VP of engineering twice in companies that grew fast and, you know, experienced all the pain points like uh, scaling and engineering org and decided to try and help other people that go through the same journey of like, mm. how do you do it right? How do you scale? I really connected to what Dan is saying. At, at the end of the day, I still go back to the age of 13, programming something okay. in basic, forcing my parents and my sister to look at the cool stuff I built. But now we're just doing it at scale. So building gotcha. cool stuff and putting it <laughs> in the hands of users is still the passion. And now you have more than 48K Ram. Ram, yeah, to do stuff. Right. So that's <laughs> that's good news. What a world, what a world. How did you two meet and what was sort of like the genesis of the company we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, well, we are former colleagues. So we met at a previous startup that was called CloudLock, which was like cloud data security. Highly, highly successful. I had joined that company prior to Ori. And at that time, I, I was, you know, a front-end software developer and started moving up through the management track. You know, maybe I was like a manager on the U.S. side. 
And since we were expanding rapidly, the executive team brought in Ori, who, who can speak for himself, but Ori's based in Israel. And so we were kind of like doubling the size of the engineering organization and Ori grew that office and I was reporting into Ori at that time. And then eventually we became peers at the executive levels and kind of teammates. And that's where we built our business relationship. And then also, you know, when you do that, you become friends. And after that exit that we had from that previous company, we said, you know what, let's uh, combine forces here and do some good for software engineers, like the area that we know best. So talking about improving the, the developer process, I think one of the things I found interesting is you guys did some surveys, right? And pinpointed one of the problem areas as the pull request. What is the problem with pull requests? Yeah, so maybe I'll start with a little bit of like historical background of how pull requests even made their way into like mainstream enterprise development, because when I was a developer, it was still a lot of these things were being done like manual, like, right. So I would do like a peer review sometimes, not all the time. And I think pull request as the mechanism to do like peer review and as the mechanism to get code merged into the main trunk, it was like based on the rise of popularity of GitHub. And, and other like Git platforms that are around like a lot about open source and collaboration and all of that. And kind of through open source on all those Git platforms made their way into like enterprise development. And they were like kind of built through collaboration of software teams that are like remote and hybrid and all those situations, which is the situation for open source. So they brought a lot of the benefits of that, but also I think some of slowness and and other problems into like the mainstream of how you develop applications and we can dive into that yeah absolutely you know one of the things that i say we're very fortunate to have at linear b so you know linear b is a platform for engineering teams efficiency you know but we get to analyze a lot of pull requests that's one of the great things that come out of it so Ryan, I think you're asking for a little bit of, of data. Our team, we looked at about a million PRs, you know, about 4 million review cycles there, 25,000, you know, developers involved. And what we found is that there's significant, significant room for improvement in the PR process itself. So, for example, you know, at Linear B, we look at cycle time, right? So that's kind of that end-to-end -end time of I'm starting to code all the way out to deployment and everything in between. And we saw, okay, where is the real bottleneck here? And when we were looking at the PR process, we're looking at days to get through that review. Days and days. A little over five days on average, which seems, you know, it was kind of like shocking to us when we saw it. The other thing that, that we saw, which is great news for the industry, when you think about CICD, so things that happen after merge, we did see drastic improvement there. Deployment times are coming down. You know, we're talking hours or maybe 24-hour type situation. But yeah, I mean, that, that middle portion of cycle time of getting someone to review my PR, getting through the review, it's highlighted in red in delays. And that's what the data mm -hmm. said to us. So is, is that just people sitting on a PR 
not doing anything or is there something else to it? Yeah, so in a PR, there's an issuer that's kind of like, okay, saying I need a reviewer and there's the reviewer. Developers are very efficient. So once they, they issue a PR, probably they would try in the first five minutes, 10 minutes, try to find somebody to review their PR now. But if that doesn't happen, I'm going to move to the next task or do something else. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you don't do anything else, but the context switches between, okay, once somebody reviewed my PR and I need to go back to it, it adds a lot of toil and a lot of tax. There's like research that talk about, you know, depends on the complexity of the PR, but it's going to take me up to like 30 minutes sometimes to get to the same cognitive state that I was in ready with my code when you will theoretically give me my review. So optimizing that process is something that is very interesting for us to do. Right. If you kind of just think about the nature of the PR or the DNA of the PR, you're at least interrupting one person (laughs) and you're probably (laughs) interrupting two, right? So what does that mean, right? When I open a pull request, if I assigned it, you know, to Ori here, he's probably, probably heads down coding, doing his job, doing his work which I know he likes to do. And I'm asking, hey, can you stop doing that and come help me get my stuff done, right? right. So that's that's one interrupt there. Now, Ori knows. He thinks he's a better developer than me, so we'll go with that. I probably have bugs in my code, and he's going to say, hey, I did do this review. You know, Dan, your pull request was really big, so it took me like 30 minutes plus to review this. Hopefully, I blocked off enough time to actually make that happen. But here's a change request back to you of all the things that you need to fix. Now, I'm not waiting for him to do that change request. I moved on to another piece of work. So now he's interrupting me back. And that's kind of like at the mm-hmm. most basic level, just like the, the nature of how the design is set up. Yeah, I, I mean... A point that you're both making that really resonates with me, and we talk a lot about at Stack Overflow, is that context switching is a real killer for developer Mm -hmm. productivity, and flow state is the place where developers feel happiest. And inherent in the PR system is, when you get a chance, I need you to look at this, and as you said, inherent and often even in the responses, well, I need you to stop what you're doing now and go back and, you know, revise some of that. So what is a solution there. I know you had talked about there's CI, there's CD, continuous integration, continuous delivery. There's also continuous merge. What's your turn of the wheel that gets us past some of the inherent issues and lets people streamline this or build it into their workflow in a way that feels automated so it doesn't always interrupt them? Yeah, so then describe it very well. Like we love data. We came from the data. We looked at the development pipeline. We said to ourselves, we're seeing from all this analysis that, yeah, once the integration engine starts to run and then CD, those are problems. It's still hard to roll them out. Not all the companies solve it, but you have a lot of technology that helps you solve those problems. And by the way, those problems involve like a human aspect. Mm-hmm. There is a human aspect there. Okay. Just like making sure that, you know, release is ready to go, but a lot of automation. And CM, continuous merge, is kind of saying, let's move, shift it a little bit to the left when code is ready to go. And we just described the problem. I want the code to be merged and apply similar automations. Some of them could be like fully automated, like, okay, code probably in some cases can 
be um, you know reviewed by a bot and and merged to the main trunk. By the way, some mm-hmm. companies work in trunk-based development. That's what they do. They don't need a reviewer. And sometimes it could be semi-automated, and you know, or maybe just find the most the free and most relevant like human resource that's available right now uh, to review the PR. So continuous merge, it's all about that. There's a lot of like use cases and problems that live inside it, but that's applying the same principle. Let's automate as much as we can how code is making its way like to the main trunk. Yeah. One of the things that was really interesting about that is once we had the the data saying, okay, this is like a problem in the bottleneck, we started to interview the teams to really understand what they were doing in the PR process. So like at the highest level, you might say, okay, like we have a requirement that there's one reviewer or they might say, you know, if you're in like an enterprisey, like financial situation, we have to have two reviewers for every PR and say, okay, but how does it really work? And you start peeling back the layers. Then they start telling you, well, Sometimes if I have a PR that I think is like really low risk, I'll open the PR and then I'll send a message to Ori over Slack saying, hey, it's a low risk PR. Can you approve this? You don't even need to look at it. It's like, oh, okay, that's that's starting to get interesting. Then there's like situations where, okay, a bot opened up a PR, like depend a bot does its job, but then it's like five days till someone gets to it and they're like, yeah. You know, I have to set like three hours aside. I go through all this dependent bot stuff one after another, and I'm clicking like approve and merge, approve and merge. Other situations are, well, you know, we say that we need at least one reviewer, but I don't know who should be the reviewer. So I just send down to the dev team channel, is anyone free? (laughs) Can someone get on this? And so what I started to learn, like there actually are rules behind the scenes to these PRs, but they're not codified anywhere. They're not programmed. They're happening at a kind of like a random rate, depending on how the developers like feeling that day and what they're trying to do. Usually they get their code merged fast. And that's where we saw an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? What I'm learning here is you're actually looking at the behavior of the code change and doing different things based on what changes are on the PR. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're like going with an express lane to say, hey, Ori, can you just push approve on this? I know it's safe. Don't even want to bug you. I'm sorry, Matt, for pulling you away. And other times you're already identifying, I'm afraid of like a security issue here. Let me get a security review. Mm. And so what we did you know, this is uh, leading into Gitstream, like one of the innovative products that we have at Linear B. What we did is allow teams to actually program those rules in a YAML file. And when you start programming those rules in, the outcome that you see is, okay, some of these PRs are moving through the pipeline much faster, but we're also increasing our quality. And if I give a few rules that some of the platform engineers have implemented with Gitstream. In some situations where they wanted to move fast, they would have a two-reviewer policy for the entire engineering org. But they would say, you know what? In situations where it's like test-only changes, documentation-only changes, things that we can identify as being really low risk, let's at least move that down to one reviewer or even start auto-approving 
and putting the power back into the hands of developers. That's when we think about developer experience. In those dependabot situations, instead of like blocking a day to say, let me push approve and merge, if it's a like minor version change, let's approve and merge them automatically. They started using Gitstream. There's like a piece of functionality where it automatically identifies an expert reviewer. So it's like dynamic code owner would say, oh, you know what, Ryan? Ryan is the person that changed this code last. He probably knows the most about this. Let's just auto-assign him. Right. He'll get the review done most efficiently. This is really interesting. Yeah. From my experience, I've seen a lot of PRs where it's it's either one person who is very busy who has to prove everything for a specific service or repo or just the shotgun approach. And then you have, you know, everybody on a PR, you only need one reviewer, and everybody kind of sits around waiting for somebody else to do it. And I think having the the kind of rules to codify it, just having that process there helps people get their asset gear and, yeah. you know, actually prove things. There's two things you said that really interest me. One is talking about, you know, where automation can fit in. Hey, maybe this one doesn't need a PR, but it needs to pass a few simple tests and then we know we can go for it. And two, hey, I know this one needs security. I'm going to give it that tag and then it's automatically going to be sent to the right people. You know, we have this with this thing inside of Stack Overflow teams and like, it's kind of the same thing. You ask a question and if you put a certain tag in, then the subject matter expert gets notified, right? So instead of having to figure out who to email or what listserv or where in Slack, you know, the right brains to the right place at the right time, um, I think is a super useful tool. So I guess... How long have these products been in the market and how have you seen them evolve? It feels like engineering, it's moving more towards developer experience, platform engineering. That's what employees want at software companies and people want to keep their highly paid and hard to recruit tech staff happy. So talk to us a little bit about how it's evolved over the last year or so and how you think that fits in with the bigger trends in the industry. You know, one, one of the things that I, I really like about Gitstream like I, I said a few rules, but the truth is it's flexible. So, you know, it's been out for a few quarters here. It, it is free. And what's happening is I'm learning about rules that I could never think of myself. And it has to do with that movement that we hear around platform engineering, because these are super, super talented folks that have a really just like a developer or a coding background. They're taking Gitstream and they're coding, you know, in, in the YAML file and adding their own rules. Like the one, I'm, I'm sure it's on Stack Overflow. But what I've seen is like, I think, Ryan, you gave the example of it's like the same person is reviewing every single time, which is like a horrible, horrible bottleneck. I've seen now like a knowledge sharing rotation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to write it so that, you know, the juniors that just joined, you have to review. Now we can actually review a little more. And it's like these platform engineers that are kind of like unlocking performance, I would say, improving the experience, not just with Gitstream, but like for everyone around the globe, those are the people that are pushing at least like our product forward. Yeah, I think it's a great analysis. Like I can see, you know, platform engineering teams, they evolve and it's kind of like it, it feels like 2022 and 2023 are like the peak of that movement. They're evolving right now because, you know, the architecture became more complex, right? There's a lot of microservices and serverless 
and the stack is like a lot of variance there. Teams have become like diverse, like, and then they work in different environments. So yeah, those platform engineering teams, they're all about like, how do we make the work more efficient? Um, I see them focusing on mainly around developer experience that, you know, we talked about it and we can dive even more into that. A little bit about resiliency, which is they share it with SRE teams and you can see, and even costs now, you know, in this economy, like they help there. So it's really interesting to see how this continue to evolve in 2023, but we can see those teams, like Dan was saying, it's like, uh, these are like um, people that were developers, very talented ones and that understand that there's so much toil exists in the day-to-day of developers to complete a task end-to-end from, hey, my, my test is, you know, sometimes, you know, failing and sometimes passing, failing and passing, Some, something is wrong with it. So let's identify those and fix them. Or, you know, the build just like got too long, like the 20 minutes instead of the five minutes it, it used to run. And as a developer, you know, sometimes it, it feels, okay, we're optimizing a thing for, for 10 minutes, but yeah, or even like two minutes sometimes. Things that just got two minutes longer, we want to optimize it as developers. Why? Because we know we're repeating this task like 100 times a day, and we know there's a threshold that takes us out of the flow situation that you guys talked about. So I can see these teams like putting the focus on those things, like making sure that developers can stay in flow. There's another super interesting angle here of applying or, or putting the task on the most uh, suitable like human or the most like uh, the right developer at the right time because it, yeah. you know teams are trying to be more efficient right now and that's the that's part of like the the movement that we're seeing. Right, rather than having being hey, this is the day of the week you're assigned to review PRs for the hour of the day, you know, how can you make sure the person who's reviewing it is the one who's going to be able to evaluate it quickest or solve the problem best, right? Like that's a much more intelligent approach. We're getting towards the end here. So Orian, Dan, let me ask you, is there anything else you want to touch on before we go towards the outro? Otherwise, what I'll do is I'll set you up to sort of tell people where they can learn more about this and check it out and try it for themselves. Yeah, I would just add, like, if you're listening to this, I would encourage you, if you do not have kind of like that platform engineering team or that role, I would encourage you to look at the developers within your organization. I usually can spot them pretty quick with a few questions. They're usually the ones that say, I love helping other developers succeed. Start that group, you know, don't get left Mm. behind. Kind of just like a a shout out to the movement. Mm. Yeah, cool. I think it's a very strong point. I would add to that is you don't even have to start that group. You sometimes do it without knowing that that's what you do. They exist in every team, like Danny's saying. Like, and um, yeah, if we kind of like formalize a little bit better of like, well, what are the tasks that we want uh, those uh, teams to do? I think every engineering team can drive their efficiency much, much higher if they uh, invest in it. So yeah. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. We want to make sure we thank somebody from the community who came on and saved a little knowledge from the dustbin of history. Thanks to Rudy Veltheus, who came on and won a lifeboat badge for answering a question with a negative score, getting it up to a positive score of three more, and that answer got a score of 20 or more. Why should EDX be zero before using the div instruction? Well, Rudy can explain it to you and has helped over 12,000 people with his answer. 
I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow, uh, stackoverflow.blog. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at Arthur Donovan. So I'm Dan Lines, founder and COO of Linear B. And to check out Gitstream, you can go to gitstream.cm or linearb.io slash dev. And if you want to hit me up, you can find me on LinkedIn, Dan Lines. I'm Ovi Kieran. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Linear B. Really enjoy this. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. And like Dan said, like if you're into platform engineering and Gitstream, try uh, gitstream.cm. If you're more like leading engineering group on one trial metrics to find it in linearb.io. Awesome. All right, everybody. If this rings true, if you feel like there's a platform engineer inside of you, don't be afraid. Start the group. Help your friends. Check out. Get stream. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will talk to you soon.